Welcome back to the Flat Out RC podcast, the podcast where we talk all things radio control flying. We're talking planes, helis, and drones. My name is Andrew Sill. I'm the host of this program. And thanks once again for joining me. For, to all those people that keep on coming back week after week, thank you very much. Greatly appreciated and hope you are enjoying this podcast. Well, another great episode, if I do say so myself. Uh, we're talking a bit of gliding today, especially discus launch gliding with uh, a man that's actually has been in the Australian team, David Millwood. So he's going to be coming up. Uh, but before we get to David, let's take a look at what's been happening around the traps. Well, the news segment's going to be really short today because there ain't much news except for cancellation of events. Uh, the Wagga Club has cancelled one of their annual events, which is a big pity. But look, I'm not going to complain about it anymore because we know what's happening around the world with COVID. We will get over this. I was just talking to my friend Dominic and he said, where are you going to go flying as soon as you can get out? And I said, my new club packing them. I'll be out then. He said, what plane? I said, anyone. I'm not fussed. It doesn't matter. Anyone to get your hands on. So still down here in Victoria in Australia, we are pretty much shut down and it looks like we'll be shut down for a while. Up in Queensland, Western Australia, South Australia, Northern Territory, even New South Wales, you're a lucky bunch. I tell you what, we all are envious of you down here in Victoria. We just can't wait to get flying. So not much news. I've been scanning around to see if there's any news in relation to new models and things like that. Not much happening um, on that front. Uh, it, this supply chain issue is a problem. You know, there's a whole backlog of stuff happening at the manufacturer level that's impacting uh, the flow of new products and that kind of thing. So not much to report, unfortunately, once again. Probably the most boring segment ever, this news section. section. Anyway, maybe next week. Well, after the world's worst podcast segment in the Planet RC news segment, uh, we move on to what I love, which is our special guest. That, and that's the main feature of this podcast is our special guest. And this week's special guest is David Millwood. David Millwood is a legend in gliding, or becoming a legend in, Australian, in the Australian gliding scene. Uh, David He's probably known as a DLG pilot, discus launch pilot, F3K category in gliding. Uh, uh, represented Australia at the last uh, World Champs. And uh, I met David through somebody else a while ago. And uh, great guy, really good guy, really helpful guy. And his story is very, very entertaining and how he made it to the Australian team and what was involved, but his passion is gliding. He does fly, uh, has flown other airplanes as well. Actually, the jet that I own was originally David, so he did fly jets at one stage, but really, he's a gliding man. So hope you enjoy this chat with David Millwood. Well, David, thanks for joining me here on the Flat Out RC podcast. Thank you, Andrew. Welcome to be here. Well, David, uh, I've had, uh, I've spoken to you before, and uh and we'll get into how that happened, but uh, you're one of Australia's best glider pilots. You're active in the hobby. Where did your journey in aero modelling begin? I wouldn't say one of the best glider pilots. I'd say one of the glider pilots, but uh, 
my journey began probably when I was about, oh, I love, I've always loved aviation since I was a, a young tacker, um, but sort of got interested in gliding when I was about 12 and um, bought my first, you know, glider and took it up to green slopes in Muralbark and threw it off the hill and it ended up in a tree and smashed. And that was the end of it. And I pursued that sort of thing just for a couple of years. And then, um, as most young boys do, uh, thoughts diverted to uh, the opposite sex and didn't really think of gliding much until I was about uh, ooh, in my 30s, probably. Um, I was I was travelling um, overseas a lot and I was flying and I was a little bit nervous flying, so I decided to overcome my uh, fear by getting my pilot's license so i i came back to australia and got my pilot's license and then i found that a bit boring because you just sort of turn the key and it's like driving you just go where you want to so i wanted a bit more of a challenge and um went down to Bacchus marsh to the geelong gliding club and uh got into a glider there and to get my uh, solo license and um or certificate and i uh, was doing that for a while and really enjoying it uh, and then I had an incident one day where I the uh, tow, tow line broke, had to come and do an emergency landing and landed and was fine. And then my instructor came up to me and said, uh, geez, you were close to that tree when I banked to come in on my uh, base turn. And the worst part about it is that I didn't know that there was a tree there. So that sort of scared me to the extent that I thought, hmm, I remember radio control gliding maybe that's a better ho better hobby for me so that's how i get, got into it and uh, in my 30s started to do it so you've, you've really gone had a massive round trip there that with with so much in between which is in true aero modeler style because i always say we've got very active imaginations that you've gone so you went from rc to i love the idea how you went and got a pilot's license to overcome your fear of flying like that is talk about addressing your fear head on then into mm. gliders which it's interesting i um Started this year, actually, I said to my wife, I want to go and have a go at a full-size glider, just see whether it's something that I really would like to get into and give mm. it a go. And went down to Benalla and, and I did a video on it, actually, and I jumped in the glider and I really enjoyed the experience, but I started to get motion sickness. And, yes. And I don't know whether it was because I was trying to film a video at the same time, which doesn't help, um, but I started to get the motion sickness thing happening from sort of, which was funny because... I've grown into motion sickness, but I uh, I don't know. It wasn't extremely bumpy flight. It was actually a really nice flight, and it was, it was having a ball. And um, yeah, when I landed and I was feeling a bit cooked, I thought, nah. I know that uh, my, my one of my friends said to me, just keep on going, you'll overcome the the, the, the motion sickness. I went, yeah, I know, but uh, I'll be throwing up a few times in the plane <laughs> before I get to yeah, that point. You, yeah, you do. I mean, like I was um near bright we we went up there for a, a camp with geelong gliding club and yeah. uh, we were circling close to a mountain to try and get some height and it was like sky hill sky mm. hill sky hill and i was like uh, i'm not <laughs> feeling the best and the i was in a twin and the guy said to me just throw up in your t-shirt i don't want any mess in the glider yeah. and then throw it out the window so i, I didn't but um uh, it, yeah i can I did get a little bit of that at one stage, but you do overcome it. So, 
if you persist, you'll you'll be fine, Andrew. I know, but look, I I, I made the decision at that point, not now, because I think as soon as I landed, I thought I really like radio control planes, and and I, then I thought even deeper and thought I don't really have the time for this because there's a bit of a commitment yeah. to to get it going. Like it's one of those things where if you're going to do it, you've got to do it. Like you've got to turn up and you've got to do it regularly, at least every month to yes. keep the skill levels up. And so, and I, I, I'll tell you what, I love the look of gliders. There's something about what I call that single seat experience. I, I used to race cars and I had a single seat Formula Ford race car. And to me, in my mind, that that vision of almost being a fighter jet pilot sitting in this <laughs> single seat kind of thing, this beautiful view, it just, it, it, it was amazing. So you came back in your 30s into gliding. Yeah. Did you join a club or what were you doing? Were you flying to local parks and things like that? Um, I was, well, after I'd been flying full size, I liked the look of gliders. Um, and I thought I wouldn't mind scale. So I don't know exactly how it came about, but somehow I, I started uh, flying with a group of guys uh, which was um, Henrik Koblanski um, and Neil, a few guys, and that, they were flying up at Cobram. First they were down at Geelong, and that's where I met them. Um, and sort of funds were a little bit tight at the time, and but I saw the scale gliders and I thought, oh, geez, they're really nice. And um, I, I wanted to get one of those and you know, like life takes different turns and, you know, it was, I, you know, got a good job and was getting good money. And so I sort of started buying, um, you know, like some gliders, but I went up to Gerildery and they have in each April, they have a scale uh, soaring day or soaring weekend. And I went up for that to watch, but I'd previously contacted a guy from Perth who was going and he brought over a let, uh, Discus 2C, which was a single-seater, six-metre uh, let glider. And I bought that from him and someone else put it up on a tow plane and I flew it for a while and I was just uh, ecstatic and it was like, yep, I want to do this. And, and I loved it and went on to buy several uh, of those and I think I've probably got a couple left, one of them being a seven-metre Ash 31, which is... Uh, Beautiful, beautiful, with an up and go in it, so you don't have to have a tow uh, tow plane. And then, sort of, I did that, and but that's just sort of you 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 fly it and you land it. It's good fun, but there's there's no aspect of it that's competitive. And I didn't think I was a competitive person until um, I saw someone with a um, F3K or the DLG. Glider, and I went. Oh, that's that's cool. How they launch it, how they get up in the air, and that sort of thing. And I thought I might get one of those and see. So I, I hooked up with a guy named um, Marcus Stent, and um, yeah, we I sort of started to fly discus launch and enter the competitions, and um, loved it, absolutely loved it. And my partner Rosanna said to me, uh, uh, "What you thought you weren't competitive?" She goes, "You're one of the most competitive people I know." So obviously, I was. Well, the, the well for anyone that doesn't know what DLG is, and we're going to talk a bit about DLGs, discus launch gliders. Is there those, you know, gliders where you you fling them up into the air with a, a hammer style throw? Now, the DLG thing—it's interesting actually. One point I wanted to make about you talk about competition and and 
what I find sometimes with aspects of, of radio control and other areas of life that adding an element of competition can actually take take your experience into a different uh, in different arena. And one of the examples I use is radio control cars. If driving a radio control car can get really boring really quickly. If you just say hooning around a paddock, it, there's not much to do. Go and race the car on a track, and it's a totally different experience. And now you don't get bored at all because you're always you've got a purpose. And I think with gliding, it can be like that. Okay, it's great to catch a nice thermal and get plenty of height and do all that kind of stuff. But um, I think I agree with you with that that competition side of gliding there is a purpose and an aim and something you're trying to achieve beyond just trying to keep the glider up in the air it's for a specific time now with the dlg stuff so when did you get into the the dlg uh that was probably 2015 14 15 2014 15 something like that it's not that long ago and of course you were trained by one of the masters and marcus been a, in a gun glider pilot across the board really hasn't he for a long time now yeah and and marcus is a unique character that he is very open to sharing his knowledge and uh, a lot of people that are competitive like to uh, keep what they have to themselves so that they have an edge but marcus is very uh, and, and a lot of the guys in the gliding fraternity i find are very open to sharing the knowledge to increase the competition and I think one of the things you touched on before where you said, you know, it takes you to a different level. One of the things that I find that it does is it pushes you to improve yourself, but it also pushes you to learn more about what you're doing. So you understand it more and therefore you can find those, you know, 5% here, 2% there to improve yourself, to get better. And, DLG, oh, F3K is the competition. Uh, that type of gliding is very unique in that it's a very, very, or very low launch. So it is imperative that you know where the thermal is or you can have an idea where it could be so that you have more chance to can achieve your goal that you need to in the competition because if if you have no idea and you just throw your glider up hoping that you're going to catch a thermal um you may get one you may not get one and you'll be down in 30 seconds whereas if you have an understanding of you know lots of different aspects of gliding and that's where the um the full-size gliding did help where you know that the angle of the sun onto a particular surface the, uh, the 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 less or the more acute the angle, the less energy. The more you know, direct the sunlight, the more energy. So you look for surfaces that will reflect. It's all of that. So it combines all of that sort of knowledge. Um, you know, the the third vector, which is a uh, looking at the predominant wind, and then when the wind changes, the angle that that vector is between those two is where usually where the thermal is. So there's lots of that, that sort of, it pushes you to an extent where you know more about the weather, sunlight, thermals, gliding, electronics, you know, getting the best, you, you know, out of what, what, you, what you're flying. Yeah, and I think one thing I love about gliding is that 
it's 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 all encompassing really that you have to be very very in tune with your surroundings and even though it looks like it's a sedate kind of thing you're actually your mind is active all the time and thinking about what your next step is and uh, and then when you throw in the competition side of things you've got other elements such as time that you need to manage as well can you take us a bit through no let, let's explain to everybody let's start with the model tell us a bit about what a dlg model is okay so dlg it it, it morphed from um a type of gliding that's 1.5 meter glider and it used to be like a javelin throw and um you know, you would throw it just like you'd throw any glider to get it going, and you would throw it as fast, hard as you could to get as much height. And then someone put a little carbon peg in the end of the wing uh, for a right-hander that's in the left wing, and you wrap your fingers around it and then twirl around like you do launch a discus if you're at school and you do sports and you do discus or, or hammer throw or uh, one of those sort of disciplines. And it's the same sort of principle. Um, same sort of uh, principle as uh, baseball swing and golf swing. It's that sort of just a different plane that you're throwing it on, uh, pardon the pun, but instead of it being uh, a, a golf swing, which is uh, down by your legs, you're just doing it out like a baseball swing. So you just swing around and then you just you, you launch straight ahead and then you, uh, on your your transmitter you flick a switch to put an elevator to get it going straight up and then it just goes straight up you push it over when you've got the maximum height before it slows down so it's it's a um it's a unique type of flying and the model is as i say 1.5 meters uh, wing and it usually weighs around about uh 250 grams 200 to 250 grams um there's four um, control surfaces two ailerons elevator and rudder um the ailerons when you set them up in your transmitter you pull them down like uh, brakes so you can pull them the flaps full down so it slows it down which is uh, good when you need to have a steep angle of descent to turn around so you can have a quick turnaround of grab it and launch it straight away. Yeah. Now, so models, um, what we see now in the modern DLGs are all state-of-the-art carbon fibre, yep. uh, which really gets the weight down. They are a work of art. Um, mm. Now, that, what does it cost roughly? In the ballpark for you, just give people an understanding of how much would it cost to get a, a competition-level DLG. We're not talking about, you know, something might be a hybrid of fibreglass and balsa, but we're talking about full carbon model here well i just um had uh, some team gliders come out from uh ukraine on tuesday so they arrived on tuesday and uh they're probably for the for the gliders themselves they'll probably be around about 1500 1300 and you put some kit in them take them up to about 1500 so you know kit yourself out for 1500 dollars. but the glider itself you know 1200 yeah. Now, to people that think that it sounds pretty scary throwing this thing into the air, how robust <laughs> yeah. are these gliders? They're very, they're very, they're con they're constructed to take the loads that are required for 
that type of launch, which is quite extreme. Is when you see some of the guys, you know, like at World Championships last year, you see some of the guys that are launching to, you know, 80 metres. Um, you know, you see the strain that goes through that wing. They have to be constructed quite strong, um, but they're, they're made for that. They're not made for coming straight down and hitting the ground. Uh, <laughs> so they do, they do break quite easily if they hit the ground, but they don't in the, uh, the launch phase. Yeah, and the, uh, you can ballast them up as well. So when would you put some ballast into the model? Yep, okay. Uh, well, again, as in um, uh, full-size gliding, the, the predominant thing about gliding is energy management. And you need to manage the energy that you have in your glider so that you can fly where you want to. Um, so in full-size, they put water in the wings and they'll get a toe up and then they'll get a thermal and then they'll fly. And with the additional weight and the ballast, they can go faster. Um, and then if they need to, uh, if they can clock to home, they can disperse that water. You can't disperse the ballast in a DLG, but you can put um, lead or brass into it. And you usually do it if there's a very strong thermal day. Uh, you can ballast your plane up because the thermals are strong enough to take you up and then you can move around from thermal to thermal faster. Um, or if it's in a, a windy day, like you can uh, fly, the competition allows for winds between nine, I think eight to nine metres per second. I think that's about 40 kilometres an hour or something like that. Um, so it can be quite strong and you can ballast them up you know, some planes up to 350 grams, 400 grams, but then it gets harder to uh, throw them. Yeah. Harder to yeah, throw them for long periods of time. But, you know, you, you'd you be flying along. Like, I'll go out on a day and I'll look at the, the weather, see what the wind speeds are. And when I get there, I'll know um, that I'll need to put maybe 20 grams in or 40 grams in. Um, in a competition, you sort of have to make that, that decision before your flight, you can carry ballast in your pockets and um, the sticks of ballast and you make the decision before you fly to what you should have, uh, dependent upon the wind and the conditions. Yeah, okay. Well, I've got a DLG, as you know, and uh, they are amazing and you actually helped uh, help me with my DLG, which is uh, I'll be forever grateful for, but the uh, they are a work of art and they, they to me, they're like the Formula One of gliders, these lightweight, carbon, you know, sleek designs and, of course, there's hardly any space inside the um, inside the <laughs> fuselage, but we managed to get the, it's a, what size 1S are we using? Are they 600 milliamp hour 1S packs or 300? Yep. I can't, yep. 600? Yeah, yeah. yeah. So you, you can squeeze yeah. these little 1S batteries in there and, uh, you know, uh, my attitude towards a DLG of that kind, the competition glider, is use good gear. What what servos do you generally put into your gliders? KST08s, mate. They're the ones to get. Yeah. So they, they're, they're an 8-gram servo. They're very strong, um, very reliable. And, like, MKS have them as well, um, a lot of other different brands. But a lot of... Um, it seems that KST were a brand that uh, got on board with the DLG community and designed a lot of, uh, or put a lot of R&D into what's required. And a lot of manufacturers now 
build their gliders with those those KST8s in um, in their format for the for the plane. You know, the, so the pocket size is about that size in the wings, and there's a lot of you know 3D printing nowadays with the 3D printed uh, servo trays, uh, ballast trays, all of that sort of thing. I mean, I wish this was uh, a, a television sort of show because. Uh, there's so many different things I could show you that yeah. are, you know, to me, I'd sort of drool over because they're, they're just, like you said, pieces of art. And some of the minds that have gone into uh, designing them and then putting them together and, and it, it's just some, there's some brilliant minds out there. Yeah. And, you know, especially I think that competition, it's a bit like Formula One. The competition makes people strive for for greatness in a kind yeah. of way. and. And we're seeing that definitely in the glider area and um, not just DLG, in, in others, in the F5J and uh, was it F3J. The, is it F3J, the um, pure winch launch gliders? Well, there's now, there's now F, yeah, F5J, which is the uh, four-metre maximum yeah. um, electric size glider. Yeah. Uh, that's right, electric launch. And now there's F5K, yeah. which is the... F3K, the the DLG gliders, with a little electric motor in it. And I just picked one up from uh, the guys at Concept, uh, the CX5. I've now got the electric fuselage. And the benefit of that one is that you have the uh, electric fuselage and you can use the existing wing that you have for the CX5 yeah. uh, F5J model and put it onto that one. So t- tell me a bit good. about that. that. That's an interesting thing. So this is now a discus launch glider, but instead of discus launch... It's got a little electric motor, but I, I, I saw, literally last night I, I saw a video of it and I couldn't get my head around it. What what are the requirements? Is it just a short motor run to get it up and then that's it? You can run the motor once in a competition? Yes, yes, because in a lot of cases, in, in particularly predominantly F5K, uh, F, sorry, F3K, which is the discus launch, um, the people that are interested in gliders as children are now getting older and their ability to um, throw them up as high as they need to go to get the uh, launch, they're not able to do it. So this has introduced the electric launch so that it takes out that physical side of it so people can still enjoy the uh, the same tasks that are required, most of the same tasks that are required for the uh, discus launch that they can with the F5K. Uh, is it still a 1S battery that they're using or do they go bigger? Uh, a 2S, 2S, like you, I've got a 300 milliamp 2S and a 450 uh, milliamp 2S. Yeah. You can use 3S as well. Uh, you know, on a heavy, again, you could use the battery as ballast now yeah, with, okay. with that, that model. Is the fuselage a little bit bigger though? Uh, nose is a bit shorter, tail is a bit longer uh, just to achieve the same uh, CG with the wing. Oh, really? But how do you get all the gear in? That's what fascinates me is I just don't understand. And again, again, it's that brilliant minds where in the one that I have, the CX-5 version, it's mm. got a little 3D printed uh, like oval that sits just at the bottom of the fuselage, yeah. which has got two screw holes in it. And you put the, the servos into a tray that you push down the fuselage oh. and then uh, – bolt it or screw it it's only a tiny screw yeah. into that what you uh, glued into the the front so that the servos end up being behind the cg oh okay 
it, it is it's a an amazing piece of kit. It's yeah. just get online and have a look at it. It's just I think as F5K soaring or thermal soaring. Yeah, that's what is, the, I looked at. I, and I saw a photo inside and I was just trying to get my head around it and I could see 3D printed parts and things like that. But um, so that's sort brilliant. of that next generation really of, uh, of yes. th- that smaller size, which is amazing. Now, an F3K competition, take us through what that involves because to me it sounds a little bit more complex than a traditional gliding comp, but... Um, what do you need to do? Like, what is the competition side of it involved? Okay, so you, you know, you, you have um, your competitors. Uh, you have a a uh, square or uh, oblong that uh, you have for each. I think it's about ten meters per person is the rules or something like that. But you, you just have enough room so that you can all swing your uh, DLG around and launch without crashing into each other and bumping into each other or whatever. So you have uh, an area laid out for your um, your course and you have to do certain tasks. Now, the they call them A, B, C, D, E, F, G, I think H. I think there's, there's several tasks that you compete and some of them are, you know, all up, last down. So it's a very common one where everybody launches at the same time and you have to stay up for three minutes. And if you're down before, you record what the time is, and then you get a percentage of whoever comes down at three minutes. So if someone comes down at three minutes, they get the 1,000 points. Um, and if you come down um, at two minutes, well, then you get uh, you know, two-thirds of, of the points. Um, so that's all up last down. And the tasks vary. You know, there's one called ladder where you launch, um, and you have it's in a ten minute, uh, usually in a ten minute window. Um, so with the the all up last down, you do three minutes, then you come down. Everybody starts again. You do another three minutes, and then you do another three minutes, and that's all up last down. That's that task. So is then it next- is that back to back? Yes, you do those back to back. So you you, uh, you land and can a land be into your hand? Yes, it can. Yes, you can land into your hand, and you just stop and wait, and then the three minutes finishes. Everybody oh, okay. has thirty everybody seconds to. Time, yeah, yeah. Everybody look, comes down. You have thirty seconds to come down. Uh, otherwise, you get penalised. Yeah. Um, and then you all launch again. Three minutes, same thing, and then you will come down. Thirty seconds to get down. Then you wait and you launch again, and then that's your, um, that's that one sector, and then you have another a task which is called ladder, um, and ladder is your launch, and you have to get a thirty second flight. Then you it increases by fifteen seconds for each flight, and you have to achieve each of the, the times. Otherwise, you can't. You have to stay with that task. In other words. Launch for 30 seconds, your next task is going to be 45 seconds. Your next task is going to be a minute. The next task is going to be a minute 15. However, if you don't get a minute 15 and you get a minute 14, you have to launch again and try and get a minute 15. Yeah. And you have to keep on doing that task until you achieve it. And the maximum in that one is two minutes. So you go through all of that up to, to two minutes. Um, so so question on that. So you're saying there's mm-hmm. a 15, uh, th- say a 30-second task. That means yes. you've got to take off, fly for 30 seconds and bring it down. Yep. 
In 30 seconds. So the 30 as seconds. as quickly as you can. Yeah. Because you've only got 10 minutes to I'll get to a 30 second, 45 second, one minute, one minute 15, one minute 30, one minute 45, and two minute flight. You've got 10 minutes to get all of those flights done. And you generally have, you have a helper generally timing? You have a helper timing for you, yes. And that's the other part of it, which is quite complex, where your timer gives you some pretty uh, important information. Like if, you know, in some of the other, uh, say for instance, one called last two flights, you have 10 minutes to get uh, a maximum of four minutes each flight, but it's only your last two flights count. So if you get a four-minute flight on your first one, whatever you get next, you then have to determine whether you take that and go again because you think you can get a four-minute. Otherwise, you're going to throw your four minutes away. Yeah. You've only got a 10 minutes. Now, your, your caller, he's, your timer, he will say whether it's you've got the opportunity to get it because you might be running out of time to get a four-minute flight or you might have already got a three-minute flight and you've only got two minutes 52 left and he'll say it's not worth it because if you do launch then you, you lose your other one that you so it's it's quite complex and you have to make all these decisions under competition conditions so you know it, it adds another level again like you were talking before you know when you do competition it pushes you to different levels because you have to think of not only where the thermal is what ballast you use you know where you know your timing and you know it's it's all of that sort of thing and then there's where you might know where a thermal is and you'll go to it touch it find it and fly away from it so other people don't fly towards you yeah because you want them to fail you don't want them to be in the same thermal as you yeah so yeah so there's there's lots there's there's lots of different tasks you know there's there's five two minute flights where you can imagine if you have to achieve five two-minute flights in 10 minutes, um, you have to catch it and launch within one or two seconds. And yeah. that's very – and when it's windy, to try and catch it on the run and launch it again, it's very difficult. Well, that's it. It's really, when you think about it, it's probably the most form, the most complex form of model flying competition around. Like, uh, yeah. Like if you look at, say, pylon racing, you just fly around three pylons and that's it and that's – you know, all you do, if you do aerobatics and you fly iMac, you fly sequence and and it's just about purely the flying, but you've got a lot more to think about. And there's one thing actually I really enjoy seeing in that gliding scene is how it almost becomes a semi-team sport kind of thing where you've got that helper and they're allowed to talk to you, aren't they, whilst you're flying and give you some guidance? Yes, yes they do. And, and you know, whilst it's um, it's it's somebody there that's a caller and you also, uh, you know, depending on the competition in Australia, in the competitions we have here, because they're small, um, you have this guy that's a caller and he's your timer at the same time. When you go to world championships, there's a timer and they record it and they don't, they don't talk to you. They just do the time. And, you know, if you fail, you've failed. They, there's no, they don't help out at all. And you've got a caller with you. So there's three people, you flying your caller, talking to you about where other people are, if there's other thermals around, if they you know, can feel something you can't, um, and then there's a timer. So, But here we have a caller timer, and when you're all flying against each other and you have to um, call for somebody else that might be 
beating you, <laughs> it it it's actually very good because, um, you know, you, you you have to do the right thing by the person. You can't just go, oh, oh you're on your own, mate. I've got you've got no idea. Yeah. Uh, Otherwise, it's gonna you're gonna get the same back. So. That's right. So that's I keeps everybody <laughs> honest in a kind of way. Yeah, yeah, it does. Yeah. So um, F3K competition. If anybody wants to get involved in it, uh, is it being? Are there competitions in every state? Or I know there's not a massive amount of numbers doing it, but if you if you get interested in it, where do you go? Yeah. Well, um, in Victoria, we've got probably the biggest, but which is not many still. Yeah. <laughs> um, there's about ten people that do. Um, in Queensland, they've got a, there's a couple of really good guys up there that do it. Um, and you know, you usually go to Facebook and look up, uh, F3K or DLG. Um, there's F3K Australia. If you go to that site and leave a message on there, I'll pick it up or, you know, one of the guys that's, uh, administrator will pick it up and we can, um, direct you to your who's who to talk to in your state like over in south australia where people can roam free unlike us in victoria mm. at the moment yeah, um is andrew meyer who was on the world's team with me last year he's an excellent uh, glider pilot you know an amazing glider pilot he's got uh, he's good at all disciplines as well 3j 5j and uh, 3k so yeah he's a guy down in south australia that uh, does quite well. So, yeah, and in Perth, I think they have a couple over in Perth as well. Uh, not as many, but there's a few people around. I mean, we all we, we need as many people as we can. <laughs> yeah, it's, it's, it helps it helps drive the competition and improves everybody's standard. I think when you've got that bigger bigger group. But what's interesting is that anybody that I've spoken to that's ever just mucked around with the DLG all says the same thing. It is so much fun. And I remember um, years ago, I ended up getting. One of those e-flight whippet foamy mm. just fling kind of things, right? Yeah. And I took it down to the park and I was mucking around. I rang up my mate Dominic and I said to him, Dominic, this is the future. We need to get distance <laughs> launch gliders. I said, and he's going, Oh yeah, sure. I said, No, I've just been out at the park for an hour, just chucking the thing around. Battery's still fully charged. And you know, not not no 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 long flights or anything. But I said, it's just something therapeutic about throwing this thing in the air, not having to worry about motors and it's silent and all that kind of stuff. And then got my son into it, which was if 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 any dad or mum wants to get their kid into model flying, trying out some of these gliders, yeah, it's so good because they're, they're forced to understand what stalling means. You know, they, they, they've got to keep the thing gliding, and and so I, I got one for my son, and I got a spare as well, and all that kind of thing. And and uh, then my friend Dominic bought one, and he rang me a, a, an hour after he'd been playing in his backyard with it, kind of thing in the park next to him, and he said it's unreal. He said I've had so it was so excited about this tiny little foamy, you know, fling launch yes. glider and thought this. And I said to him, I told you it's the future. <laughs> it's the future. <laughs> anyway, now he's he bought one of your old old gliders. I've, yep. I've got one. And so we are egging each other on. Once we get out of this lockdown situation, the next event, uh, we're coming down to have a bit of fun with our gliders. So looking forward to that. Uh, the um, Now, I want to talk a bit about 2019 and the, and the World Championships that you went to because uh, – for me, anybody that's achieved even the, the ability to get onto an Australian team to go overseas and compete for Australia is something that, uh, to me, is just an amazing feat and something that I, you know, I'd love to be able to achieve at some point in time, which I don't know whether I will. But how did that whole whole World Championships thing happen for you? 
it, it took a long time for me. Like, um, like I consider it to be a long time for me <laughs> um, because I I want things to happen for me now. Uh, I don't like waiting for things. Um, but for me, I, I I think I tried out my first World Championships. I tried out for was Croatia, which was I think two thousand and fifteen, and I thought I was pretty good, and I sort of you know came up against. Uh, Jamie Cannons and Marcus Dent and Hugh Blackburn and um, John Day and, you know, uh, like some of the guys from New South Wales as well, other than Jamie. And I was so far away from (laughs) the competition that it was just ridiculous. And I felt silly even thinking about it. But then that makes you want to try harder and learn more. And, again, that's why I said, uh, the guys in the in the uh, discipline are quite uh, generous in their knowledge, and I sort of chewed their ears off as much as I could to find out different things and learn how to launch higher, practice and practice. Uh, downloaded an app which is brilliant called uh, F3K Master, which goes on Androids, yeah, and it has all of the tasks uh, that oh, yeah. are on it. And because Androids have a G meter in them, yeah. you attach it to your arm. And it calls out, does all the call-outs for you, so you don't need a timer. Um, so you can practice by yourself, but you can have a comp by yourself. That's crazy. Um, and I went out and I did so much work with my my gliders. Um, I tried out next year and it was at Saltash, and that was for Ukraine. Um, I didn't get on the team. I was potentially going to go as the manager, but... I'd promised my partner that if I didn't make the team that we'd go to Italy instead, and we did. Yeah. Uh, so, you know, did that. And then 2019, uh, got on the, the team by default, actually. Um, one of the guys didn't want to go. I uh, had some issues, and uh, and I went, great, because I, I was the next in line. And went in, into the, you know, like just I wanted to represent um my country in something if i ever could and it would have been great to do it in rc but i didn't think i'd ever get the opportunity and when i did um it was it was an awesome experience and some of the names that you look at uh, and you, you follow when you're so engrossed in this particular discipline you actually meet and um you know i was i was in awe when i was a kid of the olympic athletes um, and I thought they were like gods, you know, like it, it's quite an amazing sort of thing when you think how good they are in somebody in the world that's, that's this good. And I had the good fortune to be married to an Olympian um, in cycling. And the biggest difference that I found is that they're not gods. They're just so uh, disciplined. They are persistent. They don't give up. They, you know, when everybody else goes, mm, it's raining, oh, I'm not going to ride today. They're out in the rain and the cold and the sleet and the snow and they're, they're persistent and they just never give up. And so going into it, it's, that's what I sort of took into it myself. It's like never give up. And so how much practice were you doing? How, how often were you getting out? I would get out as often as I could. I, would, uh, I, I retired in 2018. And in August 2018, and I probably would have flown nearly every day from 2000 and 
18 in August until I got to World Championships in July 2019. So I would have done two hours a day or five hours a day and then had the next day off or uh, stuff like that. So it was just a lot of it is uh, reading air and it sounds like a, you know, like um, fairies at the bottom of the garden, but it's not. Uh, it's it's a way of determining the most likely area that a thermal is in. And the better you become at that, the more success you will have. Yeah. And it's just, it's, yeah, it's just experience, isn't it? If, it's, yeah, it is. Every single edition of this podcast, when I speak to people like yourself that have, you know, got to a high level in your flying, it's just this recurring thing, just the time. It's just, you, you know, the yeah. more you do it, the better you, you understand. I, like, I go and fly. I, I fly up. Um, I've got a house up in the country and I go up there and fly and I'm flying on a ridge. And every time, mm-hmm. the more I fly there, the more I understand what the impact of this ridge is and this, this this land that I'm standing on and getting a feel of, you know, how the air moves around in the space. And it's, it, it you know what, it, it, it absolutely still fascinates me this day. And I think this is what got me interested in this model flying is this, yeah, we talk about reading the air, but we can't see it. But we can feel we can feel it through the model kind of thing, you know. Yes, it, it's it's through the model. And you can see um, there's different kinds of thermals. You yeah. know, like there's there's thermals that are big and fluffy, and there's thermal thermals that are laid down at forty five degree angle. And and when you do so much of it, and you start to understand it, you don't, you know, don't visually see it but you visualize mm. what they are like and you can, so you keep your model in that stream of air that you visualize because you, you know, the wind direction, you know, the wind speed, uh, the model also, the model actually does tell you a lot. If you launch and you just have your model facing into the breeze or wind and it starts to move one direction, if it's trimmed properly, it will usually be moving towards a pocket of air that is, pulling it towards which is most likely lift because yeah. a thermal will go up and it pulls air from all round. So if you're standing in a paddock and a thermal, there's, a, there's maybe a, a five or 10 kilometer an hour breeze and all of a sudden the wind stops and the little telltale on the end of your streamer thing on the, your, your transmitter goes forward and to the right in most cases, the thermal is forward and to the right. <laughs> so mm. it's not rocket science, but it's just reading it. Um, you know, as it goes past, you can feel it. It just goes dead calm. And then you get the wind coming afterwards and the thermal's above you. And, you know, and it could be further along when it's further up. But anyway, that's that's yeah. air reading. And, you know, it's, it's uh, a great thing to be able to learn and understand and, and um, to become familiar with. Yeah, I equate it to to um, lure fishing. If you're in a river hmm. fishing and you you're thinking about where the fish would be and where you need to cast exactly for that yeah. fish Is, to take the lure. Are they in a lure. cool deep pond yeah. or are they? You know, like yeah, it's, it's yeah, it's 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 very interesting. And you know, getting to the worlds was uh, like you know, experience getting over there. You know, taking your kit with you because you have to take you know five models. Why, um, why do you take five models? Uh, well, you, you need uh, you need a really light one <laughs> so that when this air is dead, 
uh, there's, there's like early morning flights when there's not a lot of thermal activity um, and you need a model that's probably uh, would be best to have sub 200 grams, about 195 grams or something like that. So when you launch it to 50, 60 metres, um, you can get a three-minute flight out just in dead air, just in the yeah. best glide. Uh, so you need that one. Then you need two models for uh, your your general, um, you know, what you're flying every day sort of thing, the wind sort of between certain, you know, three metres per second to seven metres per second. And then you need a strong one, um, which will deal with hard launches when you've got more ballast on it. Um, and also you usually participate in a pre-comp, so a pre-worlds comp, um, and you don't want to always use the model you're going to work using the worlds in there, so you take one so you can fly that. Yeah. The yeah, well, the difference in the in the models and the uh, the weights is it is it is it a difference in the wing or is it the whole fuselage and the wing that changes in the difference in the five? Uh, it's 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 both. Like the the the, the model itself, um, like I'm a sponsored pilot with Concept and CX five, so they're the models I fly. And uh, Laurinus over at Stream Team, he. Uh, he will build them like he'll build a very light fuselage and a light wing, like not a lot of carbon, um, you know, a lighter grade of carbon, so that uh, it it produces the lighter wing. And he he's very he's a craftsman at his he does he's mm. very very good at it. And all as all of them are. Well, he's he's so passionate about it that uh, I don't know whether he makes any money out of the business or not. But the amount of time that he's that he puts into it, and and I've I've well, he sent me a model to review. I asked, you know, I said I'd love to review a model, and normally with more expensive models, I would have is when I had the magazine, I'd have to pay for a model, but he just said no, no, I'm going to send you one, and he did it up with the Australian colours and everything, and he was really enthusiastic about you know just building something for me to to play around with. It wasn't as if it was you know a, a, a pain to him to do it was something that he really really was into giving me a model to see what i thought of it and uh yeah he's amazing yeah Lawrence is it he's one of these guys who is a, a gentleman he is a a very nice person he's a you know passionate about what he does and he's very good at what he does mm. um but he, you know they'll, they'll build a light plane and then they'll lay up a stronger plane with stronger uh, carbon it doesn't flex as much so when you launch the the all of the power goes into the launch and not into the flex. Mm. Um, the fuselage with that, therefore, the higher weight when it uh, it transitions from the level flight to up, uh, the 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 torque that goes through that, it can cope with that. So they are different layups. Same planes look the yeah. same, but stronger layup and heavier. Like my lightest one's two hundred grams. My heaviest one, which I'm just building now. Uh, the strong one is going to come out about two hundred and sixty. Yeah. Okay. So it's a bit heavier. Yeah. The the launch. Now, to me, it's like perfecting a golf swing. Is it similar mm. to that? Like, is it something that is an ongoing exercise to try to perfect your technique in the launch? Yep. Yep. If if I could launch to you know ninety meters, I might not have finished seventeenth, and I might have been in the playoffs. You know, mm. I. It's like um, you need to get height if you can get height in the launch uh it's it's beneficial and that's why 
F5K is taking off because it puts everybody in equal plane in that respect. It has an element of F5J where the lower you launch, it's beneficial in your mm. points. So it's offset there. But launch, yeah, if you – and it's it's about, you know, getting that max, that, that coil like a, a golf swing. You coil yourself up. Uh, the wrist action when you, you're letting go so that you have the risks, wrist speed at when you let go of the plane and then follow through so that you all of your power goes into it. Um, then there's another method which is not based on power, but it's based on speed, and it's a very quick spin. And uh, I've seen some of the younger guys in the World Championships in the juniors that were launching to 80 metres that um, – didn't look like they were putting any effort into it at all, mm. but their technique was amazing. And that's one of the things that draws me to it as well is almost the, the athletic nature of it. And I did a video for a, a, another DLG that I got from Germany, Tomahawk Aviation, little uh, one meter thing. So not a competition mm -hmm. spec one, but full carbon. And I put a camera on a tripod and filmed myself and went, gee, I've got the worst technique known to man. <laughs> do you do you have to have someone watching you and give you a few pointers on, you know, on, on your swing? Um, I, I think if anybody wants to start doing it, the best place to do is to go onto YouTube and look up Marcus Stent's um, launch video. Oh, have a look got at that. Because yeah, there's yeah. another um, guy in France that I, I've watched a, a number of times that has done a launch video. And I, I actually I was started writing notes on the uh, you know feet positioning and stuff like that at, at different stages of it. But um. So Marcus Stent has got got one, okay? Yeah, Stent, yeah, STNT people. Yeah, STNT. Mm. Yeah, and I, I I've seen the guy in France the one he does, but I end up cracking up laughing at his accent. Uh, yeah, where he says it fills me with happiness. <laughs> <It's> like, <laughs> what? <laughs> <laughs> it fills him with happiness. Yeah, but, it just doesn't it come out right sometimes. Yeah, yeah. So the... it's quite funny, but he's very good too. Yeah. Yeah, um, yeah, and uh, you watch some of those videos and you just want to get out there and have a go. They they make yeah. they, they they do a good job at showcasing the uh, yeah the art. But but I did what you did. I I set up my um I ha I bought myself one of those uh, drones. The uh, the what the angle the a wing ones like oh and a, a bebop like the bebop yeah, yeah, is yeah, the yeah. same and the little thing that holds the phone on that yeah i used that on a stick and i put that up so i could film my launch and could see what i was doing wrong mm. and when i looked at myself doing it i went my god put some effort into it david yeah. like <laughs> i was putting I, like I was putting effort into it but i was just I felt like oh, I was throwing it off my front foot and I wasn't getting sort of my weight behind the model as I was launching and I'm thinking, ah. Oh. But, but to, look, it was literally the first day I'd ever done it. So mm. I'm going to um, take my bigger one out and you're going to give me a few pointers so I can uh, yes, try to I'd perfect to, it. Yeah. But the uh, but but that aspect of it, do you, do you how physically fit do you need to be to, to, to compete? Like, is, is it an advantage to have some fitness? I, I believe, like, I believe that, Fitness is a key to a lot of things, mm. um, and I think flexibility is a good one because one thing you, it's it's a very violent act that's done mm. at maximum effort. Uh, it's a very short, violent act that you do. You know, in a day, you, you could launch if you're doing a competition in Australia because there's not many of us, so you do a lot of uh, rounds in a day. You could launch, you know, like a hundred times, uh, whereas in world championships you might launch 
10 times in a day. But if you're flexible, you're fit, uh, you can cope with the, uh, the effort that's required. It's not that difficult. Like anybody can do it. Yeah. But if you want to get the best out of yourself, I just, I believe that um, it doesn't hurt to be fit and it doesn't hurt to be flexible. I think the flexibility, I've got this, I'm, I'm not very flexible. I've never, oh, my claim to fame is I, I did about a year of yoga once years ago. And uh, there was a whole bunch of, like this old guy that was about 70 in the class and he was more flexible than I was and I would have been in my 30s. <laughs> and I, I just, I, you know, I don't have that hip flexibility, but something that I really want to, you know, I try to work on it for, for various different reasons, not just, you know, for flying model airplanes, but for, you know, other activities that I'm involved in that having that flexibility is amazing. But uh, yeah, that's what drew me to DLG. And, and I joked with my friends, I said, I'm an athlete. You know, I like exercising and I don't look like an athlete. I like exercising and, and keeping fit. And when it comes to radio control flying, even though we laugh and joke that it's been classified as a sport, none of us have got that fit out of standing at a field eating sausages and twinkling sticks on the uh, transmitter. But DLG yeah. to me is some level of athleticism involved in in, in uh, launching the glider. And uh, and if you're a bad glider pilot like me, having to go and retrieve it. But uh, Well, that's, that's actually a very good point because... One of the big things in DLG and at World Champs or in any competition is if you land out, which invariably you can, yeah. you have to run and retrieve your aircraft and bring it back to launch. You can't go and get your spare aircraft, in the, which is in one of the, the um, waiting boxes mm. at the side of the box that you, you launch out of. You can't get that one until you've retrieved your other one. So the faster you are, the fitter you are, the quicker you'll get back and the time will be ticking down for every step that you take. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And you and you find it isn't it it's it's uh, advantageous. Oh, really? Your your caller, your caller can go and get it if if you so either you get somebody that's fit calling for you or you become yeah. fit. <laughs> yeah. Well the uh yeah, if I was going to a world champs I'd be I'd be I'd be working on my fitness regime as well just for that as well. And you know what? And you know what it's like when you're fit, you just feel better and you feel like you you can handle more and all that kind of stuff. And even managing stress and the heart rate and all this kind of stuff, you know, it, it it's advantageous. So get, get fit people and start running around. Yeah, I was going to say that's that's what I think that helped me. You know, when I went over to the worlds was that I was running every day before I went there. When I got there, uh, it helped me get out of jet lag because I ran in the mornings and it sort of shocked my system into that time zone. So yeah, I I do advocate it. Yeah, no, I agree. Now, outside of gliding, model gliding, that is, mm -hmm. I know that you've been in, you've flown other models. What other models have you been into flying outside of gliding? Uh, well, gliding, I've got uh, a little cub, a petrol cub. Uh, I like that. That's very good. Some drones. Uh, drones was really good because uh, one of my gliders was lost and I got my drone and took it over and found my glider and was able to go and retrieve it <laughs> as a result. Uh, but, yeah, just, just a hypercarb, just flying it around. That's that's good fun. I've got a little foam spitfire because they always look great in the air. Um, you had a jet? I had a jet. I've I got had a jet. jet. <laughs> which you've now got, yeah. Yeah. Um, like those jets are amazing. Like, look, like Damien Mould we were talking about before that, I saw his uh, A10 Warthog um, one day, and that is a beautiful, 
beautiful plane. Yeah. And yeah, it are. just sounds great too, you know, in the air. And, oh, like nowadays with, with RC modelling, um, it's phenomenal what you can get and the the level of detail. And, you know, these jets, the engines in the jets are jet engines. Yeah, it's are. not like the uh, those little electric things no, that used to yes. fly. These are jets. Yeah, and they smell good and they sound good. Oh, That's yeah. why I, 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 I say it every episode as well. It is just amazes me how how that turbine movement has just grown and grown and grown. That and there's so many people that I know that have got that have now got jets. But it's um, oh, it's just yeah. Once we get out of lockdown, I go and have a fly with my jet. I'm looking forward to that. I've got so many things to fly. I've got glides galore now. But I've got to go and <laughs> well, fly. I, that's why I sold my jet is because, like, if I want to do as well as I can, I can only have yeah. one discipline. But, I, I, you know, even flying F5J, uh, which I would like to get on the world team for that, mm. hopefully. Uh, but, you know, F3K takes a lot. But because there's not many, it's easy to get on the team now. Yeah. So it's a shame. But so I want to try get on the five J team because there's more people flying that. I mean, that's taken off something chronic in Australia. So that's yep. that's really good. I'll be joining and it's the electric that. flight. Yeah, because that's another I mean, one. The, the the thing with RC flying that I found as well is, and I suppose all areas of flying uh, RC, sorry, is there's components of electric electricity in it. Uh, you know, electronics. So you start to understand how electronics work. So there's a lot of different aspects to it. It's not just flying or sailing because mm. there's sailboats as well and all that sort of stuff. Well, I've got, but I, yeah, I, I've got a bit of everything. I've got, a, I've got an RC yacht. It's unreal. So yeah, much fun. So this, this, and I, I watched the other day on um, YouTube the two guys back in the 30s that invented the RC transmitter and receiver. Mm-hmm. It was amazing. It twin brothers that uh, that invented it in the states. It, it should go. And I, if, I, if I find the link, I'll send it across to you because it's quite interesting, particularly when you're as yeah, uh, fascinated like us. Yeah, no, that, that, I love the the history in the hobby, and it, it and it feels like to me that it I can almost grasp it. You know that especially in the 60s, mid-60s and that development of proportional radio systems and things like that. And even going back to the single-channel days, was just I'm amazed at how they even flew a single-channel uh, model. But, um, yeah, just absolutely fascinated with that that history side. I wonder, somebody should write a book before it's too mm. late. But so that, the technology is just going ahead and leaps and bounds. And nowadays we've got telemetry and, you know, the... the you you know when you're in a thermal because you've got a vario in your like mm. there's a vario in your model now you I'll be flying a glider it's exactly the same thing I mean even the the uh, the goggles now yeah. like at, up at Cobram Club uh, we had a big K13 I think it was mm. it was a six meter thing it was big big presence and they put a camera in it yeah. and goggles and you know FPV got glider. Rosanna to put. Yeah, yeah, she 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 put the goggles on and someone else was flying it. Yeah. And she said she felt sick because like yeah. the thing was <laughs> yeah, the motion see, sickness. Yeah. But it is amazing. And yeah, the FPV experience is just amazing. I've got the FPV set up and that's that's mm. I've got another I've got an FPV drone to I've got five five different aircraft to maiden after this lockdown. <laughs> I've run out of things yeah, to do. Okay, and I've got a couple of gliders, I've got an FPV, a drone, a uh, jet. 
and another little foamy uh, indoor foamy that I want to try. So I've got a, I've got a mixture of every. I'm going to be so busy. I'm going to have to take weeks off work just to get through all yes. the maiden flights. <laughs> now I, I was going to ask you about you know are you going to continue with competitive gliding? But it sounds like you're not slowing down at all on that side of things. Yeah, no, no. I'll keep on going until I can't do it anymore. It's uh, just a lot. I like it's it's a passion of mine, and um, one of the things that I think um, has helped in lockdown in Victoria for me has been my passion with this because I can go into the shed and start, you know, doing things to improve things and to build things, um, you know, where it can take, you know, a month, two months to build something. Um, whereas other people are sitting going, what am I going to drink tonight? Yeah. (laughs) so we're aero modelers we can't stop you know we, we like tinkering and that's what we have to do and it, i'm going i'm finding myself going from weekend to weekend working out okay what am i going to do next weekend and uh, and there are two things that i'm focusing on at the moment which is you know any models that need to be finished or that i can do some work on and then playing guitar i'm getting back you know, i've been playing guitar all my life but you know playing a bit more guitar and making the most of the opportunity of not having the choice to roam outside the house and do other things because uh, I know what I'd end up doing. I'd be going out flying. But uh, now, David, do you enjoy building? I do. I do. I um, I recently bought a uh, RES kit, a rudder elevator spoiler, spoiler uh, two-meter one because uh, that's a competition that's sort of starting to take off in Australia as well, uh, a slight version two from Hyperflight over in UK, and I was building that and loved building that. Uh, I love building things when the parts are well put together, and I think this is a German or sort of those European country builds and everything fits like a glove and there's jigs that you set up beforehand, and, yeah, I love it. Yeah. I love building. The thing is that you don't get to build much with the – modern day gliders because it's basically already built and you just fit the uh, servos and put things in there where you want them and it's different. It's, yeah. it's, I still enjoy it. I still enjoy the way that they look afterwards, um, but I do enjoy building. Yeah, that's good. Now, final question, the question I ask everybody, what has been your favourite model so far? Like, can I only get one? Like, is it only one? Because there's different things that give me. Do. Like, if, if there's if different, I can have if they're different two. categories, you can have two. Okay, so different categories. Uh, my favourite scale glider is my Ash Thirty One. Beautiful, like to look at, and when it's in the air, huge, massive presence. Looks like the real thing when it's flying. Love that. Mm. Um, and I've got to say, my cx5 it's it's the best thing i've ever flown it's given me the most enjoyment it's like 1.5 meters fits fully assembled in the back of my car all i have to do is stop at the park take it out and fly so someone calls me in i come in the back of the car back i go it's and it flies perfectly it's just an awesome plane i love it i love it and it's dlg so yeah well, David, you're you're becoming a legend in the gliding scene here in Australia because all the work that you're putting into building up your skills and you've always been really helpful to me, which I really, really appreciate. So thank you for joining me here on the Flat Out RC podcast. I'm going to be watching you. No, 
I'm going to come out flying for you for sure. So you have to tell me Good. next time. Once we get out of this lockdown situation, I'm bringing all my gliders. We're going for a fly because uh, I just want to go for a fly with you. And uh, I'll be watching as well to see how you're going in the competition scene and all the best with your future gliding endeavours. Thank you very much. Thank you. And I look forward to seeing you out there and uh, good luck with your endeavours. I will be there. Thanks. Big thank you to David Millwood for joining me on the Flat Out RC podcast. And whilst I'm at it, talking about the Flat Out RC podcast or mentioning it, don't forget to subscribe to this podcast. doesn't matter whether you're on Spotify, on Apple Podcasts, on SoundCloud, on any streaming platform. Subscribe so you will always be in the know when the podcast comes out. And the biggest thing, tell your friends. If you like this podcast, tell everybody about it so we can spread the love. So big thank you to David. Uh, I, I can't wait to get back flying and fly some gliders. I've got a couple of gliders that I need to to maiden, and I'm really looking forward to. You know, I always say that summer is the best time for flying gliders, which obviously makes sense. But it's almost like winter time. I won't even pull a glider out of the hangar. I don't know about you, you people out there, but uh, for me, t-shirt, t-shirt, shorts, field. That's gliding weather. None of this freezing cold weather. And, Throw a glider. Not worth it. Anyway, I just want to have a brief chat. It's something uh, that crossed my mind uh, this week or during the week when I was watching some YouTube videos to fill in some time, after hours, of course. And uh, I was watching a guy by the name of Rami, Rami RC. And a lot of you may have seen some of his videos. He's known for building airliner-style planes, like we're talking like the Dreamliner 787. And he's done a, an Airbus A350 and he's done a Viper jet, but generally like EDF kind of stuff, but the airliner kind of thing. And uh, if you've been following him for a while, he's very very popular on YouTube, gets a lot, a lot of views. We're talking about 300,000 plus views on, on some of his videos. And what's interesting is to watch his development of where he was initially and where he's got to. So initially he was almost like self-taught, I believe, that he, you know, he was building these planes out of foam and then uh, covering them in vinyl vinyl wrapping them and stuff like that and they looked okay but inside was a bit of a mess and he admits that now so in his latest video uh he admits that some of his early work was pretty messy but his latest um well he's, he's building a golf stream at the moment but the one before that was the airbus a350 and if you haven't seen it jump on to remy remy rc r-a-m-y rc and he built this airbus a350 and i was watching the build videos and it's interesting technique which got me thinking so his technique is that he's building uh, the models now out of composite materials, carbon fiber and fiberglass, but he's making molds uh, using a 3D printer. So he's designing up the whole thing, um, you know, the, the size of it, you know, all the dimensions and all that, but he's doing that on computer, like AutoCAD, and then he's producing molds, different segments of the plane, and then he lays up the carbon fiber and the fiberglass and then puts it all together. He puts some formers in there, usually wood formers and stuff like that. But it got me thinking, is, is this a future of, of model building? Are we going to be moving towards composite planes, utilizing 3D, 3D printed molds, which we could do ourselves, and then lay things up using carbon fiber and fiberglass and stuff like that to create a plethora of models? Like the detail that you can put in now in the in a composite format, you know, based on a computer and all that kind of stuff is just phenomenal. And 
the outcome was really, really good. Now, it'd be interesting to see his plane in real life. I actually tried to get him on the podcast, but he, he said he's just got too much on at the moment to join me. But hopefully one day I can get him on. But because uh, I'd love to ask him a lot of questions about this process of building now, but he's really come a long, long way and he's getting a lot of support from the industry, which quite deservedly because he's doing a great job in, um, in doing something that's very, very different. But I was watching it thinking 3D, 3D molds, 3D printed molds, and then using carbon fiber. Now, I'll give you an example. He built the wing, uh, he designed the wing on the computer. He made it 5% bigger, I think, for the model versus the real, the, the, the scaled-down full-size version, which I don't blame him sometimes. Having a bit of extra wing never never goes astray with some of those planes. And uh, so he designed it all up, all the, the formers and stuff like that, and then he got it uh, CNC cut. So it's like he's using plywood or something like that. And he didn't need a lot of formers because he ended up covering the wings with a carbon fiber fiberglass sort of skin. And what he did is he actually bonded the fiberglass and the carbon fiber together on a flat surface. And because it's so thin, it's still quite flexible. But once you place it over, say, an aerofoil over wooden formers, it actually holds its shape and becomes quite rigid. And he ended up using a balsa block for the leading edge. And he, well, he was a bit disappointed. He was thinking about doing a 3D printed leading edge. Uh, but he ended up, having to use balsa and shaved it all down and all that. And then he put a, a single layer of fiberglass over it to just make it a bit stronger. But that that concept of just, and, and okay, composite models have been doing this for years, but the wing was made in no time because all CNC cut, all just slotted together, um, put some glue through it. Uh, it, it, came together, it looked like it came together very, very quickly. I suppose you'd probably be spending more time on the computer doing the design work than actually the assembly work. But if you think about it, with some of the way the modern planes look and that kind of thing, you get some of the more complex curves and uh, rounded fuselage like seen in an airliner, it makes sense to actually use a composite um, model. And, and his A350 looks phenomenal. Uh, it'd be interesting, his flight time doesn't seem like it's very long. Uh, he's got two EDFs um, that he's using. He's running uh, two six-cell packs on each motor. So he's got four six-cell six batteries, big ones sitting in the plane. The plane's massive. Like his Airbus A350 is four-meter wingspan, I think, or three and a half meters long, something like that. So it's, it's quite a big model. But even down to the intricacies of the wingtips that we see in modern airliners, that realistically they have to be molded. And because he built it in carbon fiber, it was very, very light. Even the skin of the body, he cut out a hatch. And when he pulled the hatch out, it was, this carbon was just flimsy. But he said that, as soon as you place it over and he bonded the top and the bottom of the skin together, it sort of held its shape. And plus he put some formers in uh, as well. But even then with the hatch, to, to get the hatch solid, he did like a carbon fiber sandwich. He used something like three mil or five mil Depron and then uh, glued that to the outer skin and then put another sheet of carbon over the Depron. And it was, it was rock solid. Just simple as that, is putting a layer of Depron and then coating it in carbon fiber. So that's my thoughts for the week. Is this the future now? Carbon fiber models based on 3D printed molds that you'll do yourself. Maybe you might end up buying the, the file, printing it yourself. It takes a long time to print. You had two printers going flat out. Uh, but look looked great. So well done to Rami, Rami 
come on to the Flat Out RC podcast. We've got lots of questions for you. So anyway, take a look. Remy RC, R-A-M-Y RC on YouTube and you'll see some of those builds and follow that Airbus A350 build and you'll know exactly what I'm talking about. About to leave, already packing. Come with me, I'm not really asking. We'll get away to a place where we don't know. That's all we have for you today on the Flat Out RC Podcast. Another big episode. A big thank you to David Millwood joining me to talk all things gliding, especially F3K DLG gliding, uh, which I've got a passion for, even though I haven't done much of it, but I just love the concept. And if you're interested in DLG gliding, uh, one of the good things to do is get on um, on the on Facebook, F3K Australia, uh, or you know, get in touch with David. Drag him down on Facebook, send him a message. If you're around the country, there there is uh, there are people flying DLGs all around. So get on board if you want to have a go. Plenty of resources on the web to work out how to do it, what models to get. Have a look at Dave's toys for big boys. He's got snipers, Vladimir model sniper DLGs. He's got those. Uh, you can have a look at the concept, the team, the stream team uh, from overseas. You, know, you can import them from overseas. I think there's a local distributor as well. Jamie Cannon, I think, is the local distributor. Anyway. Uh, Thanks, David. Really appreciate it. Hope you enjoyed this episode. Don't forget, follow us on the Instagram, on the Facebook, and on the YouTube. Uh, trying to build that YouTube audience, waiting for lockdown to finish, and we'll get out there and we'll shoot some videos. Got lots of models. Um, plenty of models to made and myself, but a friend of mine's got a lot of models to made, and we're going to try to shoot some videos around some of those awesome models that he's built. I won't tell you what they are until the videos come out, but there's a lot. So, plenty installed and i'll tell you what next week stay you have to come back next week to the flat out rc podcast because one of the biggest names in model flying out of europe is joining me and you're gonna love it uh it's, it's not every day that we get to talk to some of the best in the world but that's what we're trying to bring you here on the flat out rc podcast so thanks for joining me once again have another great week and stay tuned big episode coming next week as well 